I'm Burns Hargis, president of Oklahoma State University. With the end of spring break, we come together not connected by proximity, but by cause. Our country, our world is in a battle against the spread of COVID-19. The only way to fight this battle is to spread apart. As a result, the final sprint of this academic year is taking us into new territory. That's why, starting today, all courses for our Stillwater and Tulsa campuses will be held online for the remainder of this academic year. We owe a huge thanks to our OSU professors and staff who have worked tirelessly to quickly transition their courses from in-person to online. It's hard to believe it's already been a year since Oklahoma State University President Burns Hargis made that historic announcement to the Cowboy family. The campus and world changed in an instant. Oklahoma State was basically reimagined overnight. It only took a few days of planning and adjustments to safely continue the education of students during a pandemic. Welcome to the Inside OSU podcast. I'm Megan Robinson. This week, we reflect on the past year. During spring break of 2020, it was decided to move classes online for the remainder of the semester, but COVID wasn't going away anytime soon. University officials needed to act fast. It took the effort of every department at Oklahoma State to make the campus safe for students to return in the fall. We explore the process from the viewpoints of those involved. The campus medical team, facilities management, education, athletics, research, and students. 20, 50, or even 100 years from now, when we look back on how we overcame a pandemic, we hope this podcast provides some answers. Think of it as a digital time capsule to record one of the most impactful events this university has ever seen. Join us as we reflect on COVID-19 and how much life has changed in a year. How would you describe these last 365 days? It has been nonstop, on-call, adrenaline, working all the time, for healthcare workers especially. And it's changed everybody's life um, in a sense. So I think we're feeling the stress not only from kids at home and parents and, and working, um, Oklahoma State staff, but our healthcare workers are doing everything we can just to keep our heads above water at times. And so I think that exhaustion is kind of where we're at. It was just unreal. I never would have imagined this. Uh, you know, I remember back the initial anxiety and con concerns of, of people and myself. And then, you know, that sort of gave way immediately to a concerted effort on the planning and how are we going to come out of this and uh, organizing community and getting ready to come back to school. They seem like 365 years at times. It's been uh, obviously nothing that any of us have ever experienced before, and I've been around here a long time. You know, I think uh, the biggest shock was, you know, in March when we just shut everything down. You know, in fact, they literally had days to change everything over to online and, you know, students as well. So that, I think, was probably the most difficult period just because it was shock and awe. <laughs> you know, spring break and boom, right? We have to roll to a whole different format. And we all can think back to those early days. We were stressed, frightened, not sure, and everybody was scrambling to try to figure out what would be the right thing to do. One of the biggest shocks came when the NBA suspended the season, followed by the cancellation of the March Madness basketball tournament and then all spring sports. Deputy Athletic Director Chad Weiberg recounts his experience. We were in Kansas City for the Big 12 basketball tournament and uh, the athletic directors, Coach Holder, was in meetings prior to uh, the first round games starting um, about 
conference business. It was not about this. I mean, that's how, you know, it was not on the radar to the degree that we were even really talking about it. So it was after the regular business part of the meeting that the commissioner kind of brought the ADs together and said, hey, I think we may need to um, decide uh, not to have fans at tomorrow's games. And so they did make the decision that they were going to continue with the tournament the next day in the quarterfinal round, but not have fans. We wake up the next day, um, you know, quarterfinal games are supposed to happen. And it was just shortly before the first game started that morning that they canceled the rest of, of the tournament. So that's just, you know, looking back, you forget, you know, how rapidly the whole world was changing and how drastically it was changing um, so rapidly from going from a full arena, you know, one night to not even playing the games by the next morning. So it really did feel like that, you know, you left Stillwater, went to Kansas City in one world and came back to Stillwater in a completely different world. The shutdown of sports was followed by the shutdown of college campuses. Associate Director of University Health Services, Pamela Stokes, immediately thought of the students. I think students are always at the forefront of my mind. And so with that, there are students who, you know, rely on being here, not only for their professional development, but they have housing here and they have food opportunities here and they don't have anywhere to go. And so I think when we shut down campus, my first worry was that we can't completely shut down, you know, especially as a health clinic, we have to be available for those that are stuck here per se. Um, and so that was my, that was my gut, you know, that's where my gut went is taking care of our students and making sure that we protect them. Now, staff and faculty, hopefully we get into the virtual routine and we're doing okay, but they still have to be able to reach those students. So there's just so many moving parts when it comes to that. Chief Facilities Officer Ron Tarbutton turned his focus to the future. To be honest with you, I was very surprised as well. I thought it might be delayed of a, of a few weeks or so, and then we would, we would come back and finish. But the news uh, around the world and then spreading into the United States continued to get worse, and the reality set in. And so our thinking needed to start focusing on the longer term of carrying out and executing this plan, not just an initial, what are we going to do? We'll wait this out. No, we need to uh, take lots and lots of extraordinary steps so that we could come back safely. I hope you're having a great summer. We can't wait to welcome the Cowboy family back this fall. We look forward to providing you with high quality in-person classes and with an increased focus on health and safety. Oklahoma State University is coordinating with federal, state, and local officials on our Cowboys Coming Back plan. Christy Hawkins, the Director of Institutional Research and Analytics, recalls her initial reaction to the President's announcement. I think it was probably early May when, when President Hargis announced that we intended to be face-to-face -face in the fall, really not knowing for sure if that could happen, but the things that OSU um, faculty, you know, pivoting immediately in, in the spring and then having to reorganize classes for the fall so that they could be online or face-to-face -face or live streamed to accommodate everybody and then the administration if you think about you know when we made this decision we knew that we had to have opportunities for students to take hybrid classes take face-to-face -face classes take online classes and students had already started enrolling at that point and so the registrar who takes care of all the scheduling of course had to uh, I mean I, 
they put so much time and effort into having to figure out, um, okay, so what, what now becomes the classroom capacity? A class that holds 20 can't have a class of 20 anymore. It can have a class of six. Um, because of social distancing guidelines. And so we actually, our office was involved in helping provide some reports to the registrar's office that could help with identifying the classroom spaces that were now too small for the courses that were in them and identifying some classroom spaces that were available at different times that could accommodate other classes. And then our university planner also worked to identify spaces on campus that we had never thought in terms of using for classroom spaces. It was truly uh, so many people going above and beyond for months and months and months to have things in place so that we could open in the fall, so that we could be safe. And, and you know, I was so proud of us that we had a successful fall semester. And as the chief facilities officer here on campus, Ron, how quickly were you involved in those conversations about returning to campus? Very early on. I'm part of the uh, the uh, Campus Emergency Operations Center pandemic response team, along with many others. And uh, that purpose was to for that specific intent. How can we get back together safely and return to some form of normalcy? So a lot of the efforts that I had to do with, we use facilities, we use the campus, and there's a lot that goes into that. So we had a big role in that, uh, and then working with other partners for communicating what we're doing. But we had to, my, my first thought when we started closing down, I'm like, this can't be happening. We have to run central plants and provide water and things go on. People are still in the dorms. And then I immediately started thinking about, but how can I return my workers safely to campus? to start doing this for the for others to return. So we started working return to work plans and um, how we can do that. A lot of researching on CDC guidance and what is appropriate because we don't want to expose people recklessly. And so we had to do that and yet our work still did need to go on. We came back because of that. We were able to come back to campus earlier than the majority because we had to make it safe for the majority to come back. The longer term was getting students back for the fall semester, if possible. Mm -hmm. What was your role in that process? Specifically in the facilities world is, is my area of responsibility. So when you look and see the electrostatic disinfection spraying of classrooms and the library nightly or these uh, COVID safety signage that has been put up on doors and in and outside of campus, also uh, you know, we did a lot of things uh, just to get the buildings ready. I mean, our normal course of business, we, we do every summer. That's on top of doing the COVID thing. So we had to prioritize. So lots and lots of uh, things and details that go into running a campus, but specifically implementing, we had to go source the uh, supplies, the equipment to deal with the COVID specifically. I'd, I'd also wanted to recognize the OSU Central purchasing for the significant role that they had that, that people would, would have overlooked. Uh, when supplies that were badly needed to, to combat this illness and, and, uh, and the virus, so disinfection supplies and the face masks that we needed order, the cloth ones and the disposable, hand sanitizer, it was, it was very difficult to find. And what you, when you could find it, it was expensive and generally out of stock and on back order. So they worked uh, diligently 
to bring us those supplies that we could then distribute out and, and use on campus. One of the things with getting students back safely was also the, the professors had to figure out how to teach hybrid courses. As a dean, what conversations were had with professors to ensure students would still get the most of their education when they returned in the fall? Yeah, that was one of the high priorities. We, we didn't want to come back if we couldn't deliver a good product. Uh, we knew it was going to be a different product uh, than before. Now, one advantage we had in the, the business college is we have our own online learning office, uh, the Greenwood Center for Online Excellence, and we've done a lot of online classes. So a number of our faculty already taught online. So for them, it really wasn't as much of a transition. They already had the videos taped. But, you know, we still had a large number of faculty who had never taught online. So our office, the Greenwood office, really did a great job of, you know, and so did ITLE, getting videos out, <laughs> crash courses on what to do with Canvas, how to post videos, all these things. So uh, we really scrambled quickly. In our college, we did, uh, you know, town hall meetings just to let people talk and answer questions, you know, and you know, I, I'm just as honest as possible. This is all I know. You know. We're not hiding any information. We just don't know much. And uh, I think that openness helped a lot uh, just to reassure people there wasn't some sort of hidden agenda or anything. So we really tried to be as transparent as possible. Uh, and I think faculty responded. And again, I cannot say enough about our faculty in terms of how they you know, stepped forward, dove in, and just, you know, with just a modicum of complaining from a few, uh, but really embraced the uncertainty and really embraced making sure that students got a good educational product. And the deans, they were instrumental in that decision, correct? Yes. I mean, uh, you know, the deans here on campus, we've always gotten along well, but I th- I said to the group, one thing about this pandemic, it really, I think, bonded us. Uh, I think the deans were uh, uh, very much responsible for getting things started in terms of the planning on the academics. We met with everyone from facilities, health, uh, you know, the registrar's office, uh, everybody to try to find out. You know, what should we do? And then, so the plan started to unfold in terms of, okay, if we're going to be face-to-face in the fall, and we started this literally uh, in March. I mean, we almost as soon as we shut down, we started talking about, okay, what can, can we open in the fall? Because we weren't even sure in the fall if we could have or should have any face-to-face classes. Uh, but the more we talked to people, the more we read, the more we talked to our colleagues in other places, we felt we could if we did certain precautions. And then it was set out to, okay, what are those procedures and precautions that we should do? And that's where all the facilities people, the health people were just wonderful. I mean, they really educated us on what we could do, what would be the right thing, social distance, plexiglass, you know. We all learned much more about plexiglass than I think we we ever hoped to. Uh, But it really was amazing to see uh, you know, uh, the deans come together, but the whole campus, I mean, everybody was involved, the administration, uh, in these discussions. One of the things, too, that was important this fall in allowing for a, safe, a safe return for students was contact tracing. Sure. And, Christy, you did not oversee that, but you sort of helped to leverage technology to improve the contact tracing. How were you able to do that? We started thinking, is there anything we could do here on campus that could help, that our office could help in terms of contact tracing. And one of the things we used is Wi-Fi uh, connection points and and where students' phones were connected as they walked across campus. Uh, Card swipe information, course enrollment, if they lived on campus, where they lived. And we 
combined all that information and, and if a student tested positive, we could look at that information and see what other students they may have come in contact with across campus. What we found out as the semester started, again, the campus did a great job. You know, we had the mask mandate, we had all the classrooms set up to social distance. And so our contact tracing technology did not allow us to track things off campus. It was strictly an on-campus tool and we really didn't need it because all the guidelines we put in place on campus wasn't where students were passing the virus. What we kept doing is thinking about different things we could do to help the university. And so the COVID dashboards that are on the, the website are something that my office took over early on. We also worked with student affairs and academic affairs. They had a process where they were tracking students who were either um, quarantined or had been contact traced and were, being, were in isolation and trying to contact all their professors to let them know. We helped make a process that was um, becoming untenable um, to make it much more automated and efficient. You mentioned the COVID dashboard that is online. Can you elaborate a little bit about what information people can get by visiting that dashboard? Sure. Um, well, again, we work with University Health Services and they will send us um, information about how many um, students and or faculty have been tested through UHS, how many positive tests there have been, um, how many, how many self-reported positive tests there have been. And then we track that in terms of sort of a, a, a number of active cases, 14-day rolling average. Um, we also have information that tells people how many students are in quarantine, university-sponsored quarantine. We get information from athletics uh, as far as how many athletes have tested positive because they do separate testing um, for athletes than they do the regular student body. With the academic side of the university well on their way to making campus safe for students to return, Student Union Activities Board President Adrian Crawford had to get creative with campus events. We are allowed to do in-person events, but they look completely different than in years past. We're only allowed to have in-person events if they're a walk-by concept. So instead of like having large group gatherings like a concert, people could still attend a concert, but maybe it's outside now instead of in the theater. Or we're having to like come up with like crafts where you could come and pick up the craft and then like take it back to your apartment or your dorm. While Chad Weiberg and the athletic department were focused on devising a plan to bring back sports for the fall. We had to start making adjustments for the hope of playing football, but uh, I think as everyone is aware, you know, it wasn't even a guarantee uh, that we would have football games until August. And it wasn't an easy decision. Of course, we were relying on um, medical expertise, and we'd assembled the conference, had assembled, and all of the schools really had assembled their their medical teams and medical expertise. Uh, so there was a decision that the leadership had to to make, and uh, they, in the end, made the decision to go ahead and and try to play with all of the safeguards in place. You know of how we would, you know, obviously there were going to be circumstances that dictated that games get canceled or get postponed. You know, I think one of the biggest uh, parts of it was what are the protocols that a player that has tested positive, what do they go through um, to return, safely return to play? But we were fortunate to be able to get all of the games in, play a bowl game. Um, we've had to make similar adjustments to uh, the basketball season, um, both with the, the schedule and 
tickets and fans in the stands and that sort of thing, and and likewise with uh, the spring baseball and softball. Um, but the important thing is is that we have been able to play the games. Why else was it important for the OSU and the Big Twelve? Because ultimately, it was a conference decision mm-hmm. to have sports this school year. Um, we're so fortunate here at Oklahoma State with the resources that we have. So we honestly believed that there was probably no safer place that our student athletes could be than right here with us. I mean, there was nowhere else that they were going to be that they could get tested as often as we were going to be able to test them. They weren't going to have the medical care around them like they have when they're with us. They aren't going to have access to the sort of you know, facilities that are just for them like they would here. And, uh, you know, and, and, and things did shut down, understandably. You know, um, we did have to shut down our facilities. Campus shut down. Fortunately, that didn't last long. It, it seemed longer than it, I think, really was. But uh, we did pretty quickly start to work with the conference on when was it that we were all going to be able to bring, bring our student-athletes back to campus. Um, you know, obviously, as we tried to get ready to play on, on the uh, potential that we might have um, competition. Um, and so we, we put a group together uh, to put a plan together to safely return our student athletes back to campus and, um, and exactly what that was going to look like and how that was going to work so that we could, could get them back to where we thought they should be, where the, we felt was the safest place for them to be and, and maybe allow them to start uh, get ready to, to compete. Medical resources and testing were not limited to athletes. Pamela Stokes and University Health Services worked tirelessly to provide care to students, faculty, and staff. Well, I think what I pride myself on the most is that you're able to get a test on a weekly basis. You know, you mentioned like a year ago, not only were we having a hard time doing the test, but you were waiting sometimes two weeks to get a test done. And then hopefully the virus process was done by that by that point in time that you could have exposed many people. So I think what I pride myself on the most is our efficiency and the fact that we are able to expand tests. So as we see that they're filling up, we open another day and we add additional staff and we're doing them as much as we need to. We always have open slots. Um, You're getting your test within three to four days. Actually, lately, it's more like one or two. And then you're getting your results back, um, usually the same day. So I don't think that's something that doctor's offices and clinics across the state can say. How has the vaccine impacted UHS, if it has at all? Absolutely, it has. So I feel like we have shifted. I'll be honest, you know, I said at the beginning of this that we we had reached a point of exhaustion where we're testing every day of the week and health care for general problems had kind of taken a backseat to everything COVID, but now we have a light at the end of the tunnel. So our vaccine days are our favorite days. Everyone is so grateful and so appreciative, and it's almost like we get a little bit of extra energy um, on those days to run our our butts off and take care of people because um, it's the light at the end of the tunnel. You know, you feel safer. Um, going out in public and seeing your grandchildren or your your spouse or your aunts or your uncles. And so I think the vaccine days are awesome for us to be able to do that. Students obviously make up a huge part of this Oklahoma State family, and they've been doing their part in allowing for safe return to in-person classes. Mm -hmm. But how important is getting that vaccine for students when it comes to their return for what we hope to be a normal fall. Oh, I think it's huge. And that, and that's why I'm just hopeful that we can work through the governor's plan and, and at least have some answers or have vaccinated a lot of them by summer. Because, you know, I mentioned before, 
lots of them are in classrooms and in hospitals and they're traveling internationally and um, they're in Greek organizations and we're going to athletic events. There's just so much that goes on that's social, you know, when you're in an academic setting. And so um, I think that it's huge. I think that you'll see some more guidelines come out nationally that talk a little bit about travel and what those requirements are. Um, But I think the students also are usually the first ones to step up and do something like this. Oklahoma State's preparedness plan would not have been possible without the hard work of staff and faculty from all areas of campus. Ken Eastman, dean of the Spears School of Business, understands firsthand the importance of teamwork. We spent hours and hours and months (laughs) getting ready for it. Uh, And so, yeah, when you see everything there, you know, it didn't happen in a vacuum. I mean, and and all corners of the campus were involved, you know, like I said, facilities, everyone. And so I think you see the signs and everything. I mean, it was just, it was such a team effort and how it went into it. And and I think even, uh, I, I don't, think people fully appreciate how much extra work we put on faculty you know when you so when you have a face-to-face class but also a virtual class at the same time it's really two different classes so students so faculty were really teaching double their load and again nary a grumble uh, and, and so I, I think that people don't always probably understand or see just how much effort went into that Oklahoma State has handled it very well and have put the people before the the product, which it would be the university in this instance. Oh, I, I agree 100 percent. I mean, I, I just I, I've heard from so many faculty and staff how much they appreciate that, you know, we've, you know, given them the benefit of the doubt or, you know, work with them when the public schools weren't in session. They had to, you know, homeschool their kids. You know, I just if any time people needed a lot of grace and love, this was it. And I and again, if you if you want people to return that to the students, you have to show that to them as well. And and I feel that's one reason it went so well that I think People did feel uh, the care was there for them, and they could then pass it forward. Of course, hindsight is always twenty twenty, and I feel like that saying takes a new meaning after the year sure. twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. But knowing what you know now about COVID, is there anything that you would have done differently at UHS? You know, I don't think so. And the reason I say that is because we were an example for lots of people. Um, our state lab helped a lot of people. Uh, UHS never shut down. We we served the people that we care about and that are important to us. And we served some people that weren't a part of the Oklahoma State community, but of Stillwater proper. And so I think that we've done a lot. And I'm really proud of our staff for, you know, never once blinking an eye at taking care of those that are around us. You know, I've, I've thought about that, but I, I really honestly cannot think of what we would do differently. There were changing guidelines, but what we did is we made the best decisions with the information that was available at the time. And some of the uh, before our return to work plans and the cowboy coming back plans, that's where a lot of the changes were happening and maybe delayed being able to get that final version out because of those changes. But we did incorporate those, and I feel like we... We've done a great job with that as a university as a whole. The Cowboys coming back plan was a success and everyone is hoping to go back to normal in the fall of 2021. But some things might still look a little different. Just ask Student Union Activities Board President Adrian Crawford. Actually something my advisor and I have talked about a lot is that our like daytime walk-by events are showing higher attendance records than any of our other events in the past. Um, We used to put on events pretty much exclusively Thursday nights at 7, and something we've seen a lot this year is that people just, no matter what the concept is, will come out if it's just like 
something that they can see. So we're trying to really push for in the future for more walk-by daytime concepts if possible. And what have you learned about the university through this last year? I feel like I've learned that no matter what, OSU is all going to come together and they're all going to like be there for each other. Obviously, I've always seen that being a student here, but I feel like I've seen it more this year than ever. Like I feel like people are really trying super hard to like still come together and like motivate one another and be friends and just like do all of the like student stuff but in a way that's still safe and like good for one another. I don't know that I learned this but I think I was reminded of this that we have such a capacity to go above and beyond and do what is needed to um, address any crisis and I, I think that's what I've seen again across campus to me it's kind of overwhelming to think about all the people that put in so many hours that put in so much time that work so hard to have the campus ready for the fall semester I think I've learned that I am more resilient than I thought I was um, and just when I think that I'm exhausted and can't give any more you know there's always somebody out there who's willing to help and, and steps up to the plate so I really appreciated the networking system that we have. So so that's kind of on a personal level. And I guess that could be for UHS as well because I've had nurses working very long hours and volunteering to come off in even when the university is shut down. So I guess I would say resiliency is something that I've grown to love. And I don't think anyone would argue how difficult the last year has been. But now the vaccine is rolling out. It feels like there's this light at the end of the tunnel. So what are you looking forward to most in the next 365 days? Yeah, I told people, you know, we can see the light at the end of the tunnel where before we couldn't even see the tunnel. So, you know, I, I think for me, it'll be uh, getting back just some day-to-day -day human interaction. You know, now when I come to the building and I see more than four people, I start to get nervous. And I'll be honest, I've told people, I think the first large event I go to, it's going to be a little freaky because it's been over a year since we've done it. I'm looking forward to a fall semester where there's all the students on campus. The energy, the, you know, the first of the fall semester when all the kids get back, there's such a great energy on campus. Um, football weekends, I mean, you know, there's just nothing like that. Performances at the McKnight Center, Personally, I'm looking forward to doing a little traveling. <laughs> I feel like something I'm personally really looking forward to is just like, in a sense, relearning the human connection, re-seeing friends and getting out and like doing stuff again. Like I forgot how much I really enjoy just like hanging out outside. And we realize that it's not going to just 100% snap right back to just exactly the way it was before. It'll take an evolution. It'll take some time, I think, to get there. And there may be some things that never do, or at least what we, we thought was normal. And maybe some of that might even be, be good. Who knows? But uh, you know, next fall, if we're able to, um, as we're planning to, you know, if nothing, nothing happens in the meantime, um, we're able to fill up Boone Pickens Stadium. It's going to be a great day um, when the Cowboys run through that tunnel. Being in Stillwater at certain times of the year feels like home. And so as we proceed with this vaccine, I am ready for that to come back. I'm ready to see students out and about and, and celebrating those things that we're known for. I'm looking forward to the, to the future. I'm, I, I would love to see filled classrooms and stadiums and concert halls and able to go to restaurants. 
and not wear a mask. <laughs> I would like to thank Pamela, Ron, Christy, Adrian, Chad, and Ken for sharing their COVID experiences with me. This past year has been challenging for everyone, but together, the Cowboy family has persevered. Thank you for listening to this special Inside OSU podcast. I'm Megan Robinson. Continue to stay strong and take care of one another. Mm-hmm.